Hello and welcome to Lost in Sci-Fi and Fantasy. I'm your host, Leo, and this week we are doing a bit of a double bill. We are talking about the Agatha Christie Poirot novel, The Halloween Party, or just Halloween Party, uh, and the movie that is very loosely based off of Halloween Party, A Haunting in Venice. So, funnily enough, starting out, uh, the copy of Halloween Party that I got uh, is part of the reprint, the most recent reprint, where it has been retitled A Haunting in Venice, which is very funny if you know anything about the book itself. Uh, we will be getting into that uh, momentarily, though. Uh, so, my, my history with Poirot novels is fairly sparse. I only kind of got interested in them. Well, you know, like most things, I've, I've had a vague kind of interest, a curiosity, if you will, about what a Poirot no novel is actually like. So, when it was announced that a new Poirot movie was coming out, a new adaptation of Murder on the Orient Express, I was curious. So, I got Murder on the Orient Express, the book. I also have a collection of short stories, which I have yet to get into, but... We'll, uh, we'll leave that at the wayside for the moment. But, this book never hit my radar, to be honest. Like, it, I, was, I would see it when I was looking at the Poirot novels, and I was like, that seems interesting. Like, what's it about? What, what's going on? Why is it a Halloween party? But the one that kind of tickles my interest a little bit more than the Halloween party is the one that's set at Christmas. That, that seems kind of interesting. But... Alas, I hadn't read either of those. I read Murder on the Orient Express when the movie came out. I enjoyed it. It was a little bit slow. I found it a little bit hard to get through at points because mostly the book is just him interviewing people. But otherwise, the story came together and it, I enjoyed it. Then the proposed sequel was Death on the Nile. It was hinted at at the end of the first movie. Um... And so I went out and got Death on the Nile and waited until the movie was a bit closer before I I read uh, read the book. <laughs> and so far, like it wasn't bad. I read the book. It was a little bit better paced, I guess, than Murder on the Orient Express. But, you know, it, it still had its slow moments. And a lot of times you're sitting there like, what the fuck's going on <laughs> sometimes? But overall, it was pretty good. And the movie, while adding in a lot of weird-ass stuff, was also, in my opinion, not bad. Then we come to A Haunting in Venice. So, when I heard about this, I was confused because, you know, I was like, okay, so there, I guess there's a book called Haunting in Venice, and it turns out that, no, it's based off of the book Halloween Party. I was like, okay. And this time, instead of being able to read the book, at the very least, slightly before the movie came out, I had to wait until afterwards, because we went and watched it in the theaters. And it was good. I actually quite enjoyed it. Um, we will be talking about the movie second, but I will say that overall I enjoyed the movie, and it, it adds a lot of interesting things to, to a Poirot story, in my opinion. Then... Like, either later that day or the next day or s somewhere around that time, I went and I got the book. 
Now, the book, like I said, has been renamed A Haunting in Venice. And it says in very small letters at the bottom, previously published as Halloween Party. Honestly, it should stay published as Halloween Party. But regardless, it doesn't fully matter because, honestly, the story doesn't revolve all that much around the actual fucking Halloween Party. But we'll get into that again in a minute. So... My issue, a lot of the the kind of inciting incidents in the book are kind of spoiled by the back of the book, to, to be honest. Um, at the very least, the, the very first, like, the, the murder itself is almost always spoiled on the back of the book, and that sucks. Because a lot of people, in order to kind of get a grasp of, like, what the story is about and whatnot will want to read the back of the book, but they don't necessarily want the big murder to be spoiled. But in this case, and most cases with the Poirot novels, it is. And I get that it's to kind of help entice you in, you know, like, oh, there could be more things that go on in the story and whatnot, but it's it it, it hurts the story overall sometimes because you're, you're looking for it, and then you're kind of sitting there questioning it the entire time, especially when in this book... Not a lot of focus is put on the central murder. So let's get into it. So the way we're going to do this, now that I've done my little history, my personal history with Poirot stuff, I've been very curious about the TV show Poirot, but uh, I've never been able to watch it. So, yeah, it's very hard to get a hold of the whole thing without shelling out like 150 bucks. It's ridiculous. I understand it's a long-running series, but still, come on. Anyway, <laughs> so this book is very short. Uh, at least it's relatively short. It's only about 259 pages, um, and it drags. It drag. It like you would think a book that short wouldn't drag, but this one fucking drags. Um, it's super slow through a lot of the middle of it, and I think part of that is. Unlike the other novels, instead of Poirot kind of doggedly being on the case the entire time, you know, constantly asking questions, moving from one person to the next, he's kind of, you kind of envision him pottering around a little village because that's what he's doing. He's just kind of wandering from place to place, talking to people as he goes, and <laughs> it, it makes it feel super slow. Uh, this is also what I'm going to kind of call late-stage Poirot. So it is widely known that Agatha Christie absolutely fucking hated this character. She wrote him as a pompous ass because she absolutely hated this character. But I, I'm willing to say that in the early books and even through the mid-stage books, which include Murder on the Orient Express and Death on the Nile, she actually cared. You know, she she was putting forth effort... To at least tell nice, interesting stories that were good. But this, this is like the third from last book in the series. And you can feel the weight of her hating this character. But the problem is that hate kind of seeps into all the other characters as well. And I, I don't know, it just doesn't feel right. The the characters 
all will provide like the same fucking answers to absolutely everything. They'll give their the same exact suggestion in almost exactly the same way. It's as if she wrote one character and then decided to give that to everyone that Poirot interviews. And then there's some characters that just potter on mindlessly being like, oh, well, I know I should have told you this, but, you know, it's this. And you're like, just say the thing that you're wanting to say. Like, please, for the love of God, just say it. You're, you're going on for like a page, page and a half sometimes with this person rambling about nothing. They're rambling nothing. It hurts my soul sometimes. But that aside, let us kind of go into the story. So the story opens not from the perspective of Poirot, similarly to Death on the Nile, where it opens up with kind of an an introductory uh, scenario that might end up either providing context or leading to the murder. In this case, it leads to the murder. We are following, um, uh, what's her name? Miss Oliver, we'll just call her. Because, um, her, her first name's like Aradian or something like that, but Miss Oliver. She is supposed to be like a, a pseudo caricature of Agatha Christie herself. Um, you know, an exaggerated version of herself that's a bit silly. Um, she is attending a Halloween party hosted by a friend of her friend's. Um, and it goes through the, the details of the party and whatnot, the setup and everything. And then, you know, the party ends... And then it cuts to Poirot in his London apartment. Then he is interrupted by Miss Oliver, who comes in and asks for his help. This is the first case of fucking pottering. She is completely upset and distraught. Understandable, but she's talking around the situation. And that happens so many times in this novel. And it feels like she's that Agatha Christie was just trying to pad out the story because she's like, this is kind of short, but I don't want it to be a short story. So I'll pad it out. So she talks around the issue before finally coming to the fact that a child has been murdered. The child in question is a Joyce Reynolds. She was drowned in a bucket of apples. Uh, for, you know, because they one of the events at the party was bobbing for apples. She was drowned in said bucket. Um, by all intents and purposes, it happened most likely around the last portion of the party because she was seen likely throughout most of the rest of the party. Um, the last portion of the party was an event called Snapdragon, where these like plums or whatever are set a fire and the kids go up and like grab them and eat them. It's a silly thing, but sounds kind of interesting. <laughs> but anywho, so she asks him to come to the small village where it happened and help solve the case. So he does, and he goes through and starts doing his interviews and interviews and whatnot and this is where it slows down a lot. 
because the way he does interviews, because it's so far after the party, the party having happened um, at the beginning of the book. Well, it happens at the beginning of the book, and then it's like a day or two later when she asks for his help. And by the end of the book, when he solves it, it's been about a week or two since the murder occurred. So he goes around and keeps asking questions. And one of the big things is that Joyce, during the preparations for the party, had stated, in order to try to get some attention, that she had witnessed a murder. She saw, she claims to, that at the time she didn't know what it was, but has only come to recently realize that it was a murder. And then, of course, she ends up murdered herself. So a big part of the story is trying to figure out what the murder she saw was. But, while doing so, every single person that Poirot asks, uh, when he asks, who, what murder do you think she might have seen, they state, oh, she's a liar, so she probably didn't see anything. You know, she, her mom once went to India, but she didn't go with. And when she came back, uh, you know, she she boasted it about it a, a ton and whatnot. And it's just like, okay, yeah, sure. So, so the that's kind of one of the big things that's laid out. But Poirot still feels determined to try to figure out what the murder could have been that she had seen. And he is presented with a list of potential murders. There is a school teacher who was strangled. There was a um, junior clerk at a law office who was stabbed. There was a, a girl who just kind of vanished. Um, and I think that is it. Yes. So Poirot is going around trying to figure out when these murders happened, what associations they might have, and so on and so forth. Uh, but the entire time, everyone he asks, not only do, do they say that Joyce Reynolds was a liar, but they also throw in the, oh, it was probably just some nutcase released from the mental asylum because the mental asylum is uh, having to release people because it's getting overcrowded. And I'm just sitting there like, uh, if it ends up being that, I'm going to be mad. <laughs> and obviously it was like a red herring, but still, they they beat it into you so often that, of course, if it ended up being that, you would be mad. Because it's, that's just a random third party. But people are constantly throwing out the fact that, oh, there's a potential that it, it was this, that, or the other. Um, she might have been sexually assaulted, but then Poirot was like, no, there's absolutely no evidence to say that. It seems that she was just murdered because she said that she witnessed a murder. <laughs> but then they're like, but she's a liar. And it's, it just keeps going around in that circle for most of the book. And it gets very frustrating to read at times because you're, you're trying to focus in and, you know, you know, try to follow along with the murder, but... Then you have someone who dances around what they're trying to say during a crucial moment. Or you have some something that just is going on for t too long. And then they keep coming back to these things. And it's just like, stop it. Please, stop. But, eventually, Poro gets his lead. Wet. 
He gets to the lead that the person who had to have murdered Joyce was wet at the time. And who shouldn't have been wet? I'm about to spoil the book. It's Mrs. Drake, the person who was hosting the party. So throughout the story, you're given some kinds of clues here and there that Mrs. Drake doesn't feel quite right. And it works. For the most part, the Mrs. Drake thing works. But she she's not in the story all that much, to be honest. The only bit that we're given that suggests that she at the very least might have seen something was one of the teachers had witnessed something going on. She was curious as to why Mrs. Drake wasn't at Snapdragon, so she went out into the hall and saw Mrs. Drake up on the stairs, up on the landing, uh, holding a a vase or vase, uh, and she looked shocked at something happening at the library, and she dropped the vase or vase. Um, Thus making herself wet. Mrs. Drake, when asked about this, says, Oh, you know, I was just a little bit shocked. Uh, I I might have seen uh, something or whatever, but it, it wasn't anything. I was just a bit shocked. Um, at something. <laughs> then later, she um, she suggests that she had seen Joyce's little brother Leopold uh, had was the one that popped out of the library, and at the time she suspected that he might have been the one who committed the murder. And she wanted to protect him because she might, because uh, he might not have known what he was doing as being morally wrong, and wanted to give him a chance. So she was, you know, basically that's the other theme that was going through was the leniency of the criminal justice system at not persecuting children. I guess um, <laughs> the people are being too soft that they aren't they. They're not um, being hard enough on the children. They're using education or lack thereof as an excuse as to why they have done fucking horrible things. Um, and <laughs> you, you're not able to fully get exactly where Poirot lies um, in this distinction of like where you're supposed to be lenient for murder. Which is kind of funny because, again, in Murder on the Orient Express, he lets the killers go because he felt bad for them. <laughs> um, and he was willing to go with their story of a, a mysterious person who hopped onto the train, killed him, and then left. But, anywho. <laughs> so there's that. She talks about this and it's around the reason she decides to come forward I say with quotation marks um, about this having happened is because Leopold himself has been murdered he was drowned in a brook um, not too far from a path supposedly Um, 
And then Poirot just kind of wraps up the story pretty fast. It was uh, Mrs. Drake and the gardener. Um, the gardener, and it, it links back to the previous murders um, that had happened, the forger and the missing girl. The teacher was, a, I guess, just an additional murder that happened maybe because she was gay? Question mark? Um, so, as it fully breaks down uh, the murder, it started way back when this girl who disappeared, uh, Olga, she was taking care of an elderly woman. Uh, the elderly woman got mad at her relations for some reason and decided to pretty much write them out of the will and give all the money to Olga. They didn't like this, so they had a forgery made by the forger. Um... And then, when the the addended will was brought into question, she decided, fuck it, I'm going to leave, and was then murdered and hidden away. That, specifically, is the murder, kind of, that was witnessed. Uh, it was just that the, the body was being taken away. And it was not witnessed by Joyce. Joyce... Um, was being was upheld as being a liar, um, and did not witness a murder. It was her friend who had witnessed a murder. She had told Joyce, and Joyce, in a moment of trying to impress the murder book author, uh, Mrs. Oliver, used that as a a story to try to impress her. So, when Miss Drake heard Joyce saying this, she killed Joyce. Because she was like, because she had always had suspicions that uh, her and the gardener were overheard, but they weren't able to find who had overheard them twice. Um, they also supposedly probably murdered the forger. That's how he died. Um, then, when they were trying to get rid of the uh, Olga's body, they carried her through the quarry uh, park. And were witnessed by a girl named Miranda, who is the child of the friend of Miss Oliver. And then a last minute twist, also the child of the gardener, question mark, and the gardener probably knew, also, question mark. <laughs> it's heavily implied that he, he knew that this kid was his daughter. And in the end, he was ready to fucking murder her, too. Because his whole thing is he wanted a Greek island to landscape. Because he has an obsession with beauty and creating beauty. So he was ready to sacrifice, you know, anyone he could to get this island to be able to to sculpt in his image. Um... Mrs. Drake, on the other hand, she didn't want the money going to Olga, so and was potentially maybe in love with the gardener, and decided, yeah, murder. Why not? She murdered Joyce, and Leopold was extorting potentially her or the gardener for money, and so they just happened upon him near a brook and drowned him to get that to stop. 
and uh, yeah, <laughs> that, that's pretty much it. In the end, it's revealed that um, the gardener, when confronted, because he was about to kill Miranda, uh, he was stopped from killing Miranda by two people who were previously suspects, and every description of them is a bit silly, because this book is set around the 60s. Uh, where most of the books that you might read in Poirot's stuff is set around the 20s and back there. But this is set around the 60s when he's, like, older. And the fashions described are very 60s, early 70s-ish. It's it's very interesting, because, like, one of them has, like, sideburns, and another one has, like, those big, round, like, John Lennon glasses. It's, it's interesting. <laughs> but they come in and rescue Miranda, possibly set... Sent by Poirot, because Poirot might have known that something like this might happen and sent them out to keep guard. Um, but they're able to stop it before she is killed. She was willing to go along with dying because she learned that she is very likely the cause of Joyce's death. Because she is the one that witnessed the murder. And because Joyce took that story and ran with it, Joyce was killed. That kind of thing. But yeah, so it gets a bit jumbled at the end, but it gets kind of a lot better in the like last chapter or two. <laughs> Otherwise, it's a little bit rambly, and people just come out of nowhere. It's it's a bit of a mess. Overall, would I recommend the book? Halloween Party? Slash now kind of Haunting in Venice? Not really. Uh, if you're looking to you know read all the Poirot stories... I would say read them in order and read it near the end because it kind of sucks. It's not, it's nowhere near the best and you can very much feel Agatha's contempt for writing these stories. I'm very curious to read one of her other stories like Miss Marple, sorry, Miss Marple, uh, because supposedly she, she enjoyed writing Miss Marple a lot more. So that is something I am curious about. Now, we move on to the the movie. The movie is extremely loosely based off of this. So much so that the writer, Michael Green, decided to name it something else. He named it A Haunting in Venice. Because funnily enough, there's actually, I believe, no mention of Venice in this book at all. <laughs> whatsoever. Um... And it shares some characters and some loose plot threads, but otherwise it is a completely original story. Now, at the beginning of this copy that I have, and I'm actually very glad that I got the Haunting in Venice copy of Halloween Party, there is a foreword by Michael Green, the writer of A Haunting in Venice, where he kind of explains why. Um, and he does it in a fun way. So I'll read you some of it, if not all of it. Um, the foreword states, A confession. I have committed a murder. Possibly a justifiable homicide, but there is definitely a body on the floor. And that body looks a lot like the book you are holding. I had motive. I had opportunity. I even had permission. Which doesn't change the fact of the sin or merit reprieve. Agatha Christie, fans, zealous, Agatha Christie fans, zealous and legion, will call for my head. And they will be right. For in the assignment of writing a screenplay, I did willingly, 
purposefully alter the plot of a beloved Agatha Christie mystery novel for personal gain. And I'll actually leave it there. Because it, it's actually very interesting. It only goes on for a couple pages. But basically, he explains that while he was adapting the story, he came to the point that it might not be all that interesting on the screen. And he had ideas for other things that he kind of wanted to do. And while a lot of people would be upset with him for doing this, he decided to do it because he wanted to do something different. And I personally kind of agree with that choice because I feel that the movie came out very good. The movie, especially in its advertising, advertises this as Poirot coming up against the supernatural, potentially. Which, the back of this book alludes to potentially happening. The second paragraph of the very short summary says, Famed detective Hercule Poirot is called in to investigate. Set against a night of trickery and the occult, it is up to Poirot to uncover the real evil presence responsible for this ghastly death. The thing is, one, it is not set against that night. Like I said, the book takes place over about the week following Halloween. In fact, one of the things is Miss Drake has a meeting with the local uh, church council or uh, whatever about their Christmas plans. Because <laughs> uh, they're already moving on from Halloween. But yeah, so he decided to change it and set the entire story on that Halloween night. And he actually does come against some occult stuff because there's a question of whether or not there is a ghost about. Because it is suggested that the murderer of, well, no one, uh, no one from the book at least, the person who is murdered in the movie is a seance uh, person? I don't know what those are called. Um, a medium. Yeah, a medium. Is a medium who is, like, flung from a balcony and pierced upon a statue. It's very gruesome in the film and kind of really cool. Like, the way it's framed and everything. It's, it's something that gives you a little bit of a heart palpitation. Um, but yeah, it's all set within this one building, and it still has a question of a relation to a death prior as to what was going on. There's also some minor blackmail. Like, these are all elements that are brought in from the book lightly. You know, um, because there's... The question in the movie is, who is blackmailing... Uh, who <laughs> what what's going on so the movie opens uh with Poirot hanging out in his uh now Venetian uh retirement or home he is retired fully he has a bodyguard who constantly shoes away those who seek Poirot's assistance um 
And he has, like, a weird line of people who are constantly, I guess, seeking his assistance. At least that's what is kind of implied. Or it's just a line of people who are just hanging out outside his building. I don't know. Uh, but, anywho, they... He, uh, later on, it is brought that Miss um, Oliver is let in. Uh, because... The bodyguard brings in an apple, and that's like the whole thing with Miss Oliver and whatnot. But she comes and asks him to help her. Not because there's been a murder, but because she is trying to figure out what is going on with the um, the medium. Is the medium real? Like, And the, her whole idea is to try and get Poirot to believe in the medium. Or to debunk to debunk it. Who knows? So he goes to this Halloween party where this medium will be taking place. The reason that the medium is there is because the uh, owner of the house who decided to throw the party for the orphan children in this uh, version, um, she is wanting to try and connect with her daughter who has passed away. Um, and it is, it was deemed a potential suicide, but there's a lot of people around that don't believe that it was, uh, she was, uh, she jumped from her balcony into the water below, uh, but anyway, so they come in, they experience a little bit of the party, and then the medium arrives, and they, they start setting about getting things ready. And fairly fast, Poirot is able to immediately debunk the medium's stuff. But then some stuff that can't fully be explained does end up happening. And is also never really fully explained. It is kind of lightly suggested that maybe a ghost is actually here. The medium is eventually murdered, as I stated by being flung off of a balcony onto a statue. Uh, and they set about trying to figure out what happened. He goes around interviewing people. Classic Poirot. Um, and then the doctor has a bit of a fright and is set into because there's a doctor there with his son and is set into a uh, room and locked away but shock horror he ends up murdered and the only person who has the key I believe at this point was Poirot I'll apologize some of the details might be a little bit fuzzy because I watched the movie about three to four weeks ago um and I am just dredging up the plot from there. But anywho, he gets murdered. Or, yeah, he gets murdered in a locked room. And they have to try to figure out how. At this point, Poirot uh, devises that his being there was a bit of a trick. His bodyguard, working with Miss Oliver, had devised 
to get him there. Um, potentially just to make him a fool for her next book. It's not fully explained uh, exactly why they wanted him there. But it also turns out, shock horror, that um, the bodyguard was the policeman on call when the um, owner, which I'm guessing is supposed to be Miss Drake, she might actually be named Miss Drake in this, um, when she, uh, when her daughter uh, was dredged from the, the bottom of the canal. Uh, and he, that's when he quit the police force. So, that doesn't relate to much, but, yeah, in trying to keep things fully locked down, he, um, he is also potentially part of the accused. Uh, then, some more happening, some more spooky stuff. I will admit that the jump scares in this are kind of bad. <laughs> they, they are exactly as they, they are on the as it says on the tin jump scares they're you know they're there just to shock you real quick and kind of force you into a little bit of a heart palpitation anywho long story short we'll kind of race to the end again spoilers and also sorry because around the time i'm recording this the movie's kind of in limbo it's it's, it's maybe has one or two showings left in theaters it probably hasn't hit streaming yet, so it's kind of in that weird medium where availability to watch the film is a little bit hard. But anywho, uh, we're, we're going to spoil the rest. I've already said some spoilers, I'm sorry, but yeah, the, the, we'll get to it. The killer, again, is, I believe her name in this is Mrs. Drake, I think. The mother. She has been blackmailed. And she was trying to figure out who was blackmailing her. And the person that was blackmailing her was the doctor's son. See, she assumed it was the the uh, medium. Because the medium was, you know, kind of playing as if she did know that uh, she had murdered. that, But it, she very likely didn't actually know and was just trying to... Uh, rouse some some emotional stuff to you know sell her thing got her murdered then she suspected it was the doctor so she rang from a secret phone to the room where there was also a secret phone and she rang and told him to kill himself or else she would harm the, the kid and so he did he, like, positioned the knife against the wall and leant against it. And was thus stabbed in the back. Um, and that, that is how she committed the two murders. Um, the son, he wasn't entirely sure. He was not, he didn't believe, like, he, he felt that she might have been the murderer. Because, you know... The daughter would not commit suicide. It was a very unlikely thing to him. So, it turns out, along with the the maid, the maid 
had accidentally overdosed the daughter because the mother, in order to keep her daughter, who she was very closely attached to, um, close, she was drugging her daughter to put her in a state of sickness using a special type of flower, um, like a special type of honey. And she, the housekeeper, in order to keep her calm because she was having a bit of a fit, uh, did the only thing that she thought like the mother would do, and she gave her some tea with the honey in it. But she ended up overdosing and died, so the mother chucked her daughter out the window, claiming it to be suicide. The uh, son of the doctor had suspected that this potentially might be the case and thus sent out a bit of a feeler letter to the mother to get confirmation. She took it as blackmail and thus he started blackmailing her and started receiving pretty much all of her money. Um, and he was using it to pay off the bills and whatnot uh, to help his father out. But now he has a bunch of money that he didn't know what to do with. So at the end of the film, he helps the assistance of the medium uh, achieve their dream of going to America. <laughs> but yeah, that's the movie. It's, it's a lot more interesting. The reason I like it is because it's a lot more centrally focused. Poirot has much more connection to this story. In fact, he ends up getting a bit drugged and that's why the question of whether or not the ghost is real is because he he was lightly drugged with the bee honey. So he he was hallucinating a lot of what was going on, seeing things that he should not have seen. But the thing is, it's heavily implied that the ghost might actually have existed and was slightly helping him along the way because the little girl that he saw uh, hiding somewhere was the little girl version of the um, daughter that died. And he, as far as we know, to that point, he hadn't seen a picture of her. And then he also saw a full, like, adult version of her as well in a mirror. And, yeah, he, again, hadn't seen a picture of her to that point. But, yeah. Uh, she, the, the murderer, potentially Mrs. Drake, she dies by... Uh, Poirot confronts her on the roof, top garden, and she backs away and gets spooked by, well, it, it's suggested that either Poirot pushed her, and it was just like a hallucination that we saw, because he sees the ghost of the daughter come up behind the mother and pull her down. So either Poirot pushed her, the ghost actually existed and grabbed the mother, or the mother tripped and fell over the railing. All three possibilities are kind of there. But, yeah, it, it's interesting. It's, it's very interesting. It does turn what was a, you know, going through an entire 
a murder that rocked a small town um, and turns it into your classic mansion murder mystery. But I think overall, I don't know. <laughs> I think overall I enjoyed it more. I think partially because it is a, a shorter story, it's part of a larger narrative linking back to the the two previous movies a bit, uh, potentially setting up that Poirot's coming out of retirement to do some more stuff. So, because I, I knew that this was coming because I after uh, Death on the Nile, I looked it up to see what they were planning and it turns out that they were planning a trilogy. And this, this uh, was supposed to be the end of the trilogy. But there's a chance that it might not be the end. We shall have to wait and see. The writer, Michael Green, who has written the previous two movies as well, he is hopeful that they might do a fourth one. And I believe he wants to do the murder of Roger Ackroyd. And we'll see. But anywho, uh, I do highly recommend the movie, especially if you've watched the previous two. Um, but yeah, with that said, that's that. I will give you guys a quick update since it has been a little bit of time that I've since I've actually been sitting here talking. The previous three episodes were pre-recorded, and that was because, as I said at the time, I went on a bit of an adventure again because, you know. Even though the first one didn't go so well, the second one might be better. And the second one was better. It it did good. I got a lot of walking and so much fucking walking. Um, my my feet still need still need to heal from from all that walking. But overall, I think it was a pretty good experience. Uh, as for the things I was trying to do at the time, not so much. <laughs> I I literally finished the book. Um, Halloween party shortly before recording this episode. So, yeah, it was a bit tight. I, I did start reading it while I was out and about, but I, I was so drained of energy most of the time that all I could do was play a few rounds of Call of Duty and then go to bed. Uh, I did try to stream, but the hotel internet was garbage, um, and it completely fucked things over for my Spider-Man playthrough. So what I'm going to do for the Spider-Man playthrough is once I've finished playing Spider-Man 2 and, you know, done some other streams and whatnot, I am going to probably delete that save and start again up to the point where I finished off on the streams. Then when I'm there, I will come back and I will complete the streams through Spider-Man 1, through Miles Morales, and through Spider-Man 2. Do do do. I will hit all three in a row to have three completed stream series together. <laughs> in the meantime, though, I'll probably play some Dark Souls here and there. I'll probably play some Mafia here and there. And I will probably play some more Call of Duty, at least for the next 30-odd uh, days or so. I might even play some Modern Warfare 3 when it comes out. Who knows? We'll see. <laughs> but with that said, though... Thank you guys so much for joining me. If you guys like this, feel free to give it a like, comment, and subscribe on YouTube. Uh, or rate and review it on whatever podcast catcher you use. Share it with your friends. 
They might find this interesting. Who knows? <laughs> and you can check out the other things that I do on the YouTube channel. Where I, as I said, stream sometimes. I, I've been streaming Call of Duty recently. I fucked up the audio. I'm so sorry. Two streams, each about two to three hours long. And I, I'm an idiot and forgot to actually check the audio with in-game audio mixed with it. I'm so sorry. But I I have hopefully fixed it, or I potentially overcorrected and the game audio is going to be super fucking quiet. We'll see. But with that said, once again, thank you guys so much for joining me, and I will talk to you guys next time. Goodbye.